All right, tonight we are in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're still in chapter 6. The title of tonight's message is Glorify God in Your Body. Glorify God in Your Body. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 20. Tonight, so we'll finish up chapter six. I really agonized over what text to actually preach through tonight. Because in reality, Paul's discussion about sexual immorality and sexual conduct in the life of a Christian really could extend into and through chapter seven and its multitude of discussions about marriage and things like that. And so I toyed with the idea of starting in chapter in verse 12 of chapter six and going all the way through verse 40 of chapter seven. But I decided that giving pastor Mitch a stroke would be unkind. (laughs) And so, uh, but no, ultimately I, I want to be able to give a full understanding to the best of my abilities Uh, of those texts. And so that's really the biggest reason why I chose to not go all the way through that because I wanted to be able to discuss them fairly deeply. And so it wouldn't be right to try to rush through all of that and really be able to cover all of it. And so that's why we're just looking at verses 12 through 20 tonight. And so over the last few weeks, we've been talking about sin issues within the Corinthian church, right? The Corinthian church has had significant sin issues. Oh, I forgot to mention this before I get started. But if at any point I say, and that's the end, and I pray and I leave, it's because my wife sent me a text and says, hey, my water just broke. So just FYI, if I do that, don't freak out. That's why I'm leaving, okay? Anyway, so over the last few weeks, we've been talking about sin issues within the Corinthian church. We've talked about a man who was, well, first of all, we spent the first four chapters talking about their pride and their arrogance and their seeking out of worldly wisdom. And then we moved into chapter five and we talked about their, uh, th- their tolerance of a man who was having a sexual relationship with his father's wife. And then last week we talked about how they were taking each other to civil court in front of pagan judges to settle disputes that should have been settled within the church itself. And so Paul continues on at the end of that passage by saying, that the, by reminding the Corinthians that they were washed, they were sanctified, and they were justified. And so he kind of ends all of that discussion about lawsuits and things like that by saying, listen, you need to remember that you are sanctified and justified by Jesus Christ. And so what's going to flow from that and what he was trying to drive at there was that has an impact on how you live your life. That's how, that's going to make an impact. It's going to make a, 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 some kind of tangible evidence in your life when you remember that you were washed and sanctified and justified by Jesus. It changes you. And so Paul uses that to transition into a different issue. And this one shows that the Corinthians have a profound lack of understanding about what Christians are supposed to be doing with the lives that God has given them. So let's look together at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 12, and this is what it says. Uh, You can follow along in your Bible. It'll also be up on the screen, or you can just listen carefully. It says this, all things are lawful for me, 
but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So the Corinthians, there is apparently widespread instances of people within the Corinthian church having sex with prostitutes. That's what's happening here. Now, it is unclear whether it is just average, everyday prostitutes, which is a very strange phrase to say in a sermon, or if he's referencing temple prostitutes that men would visit in order to worship these false pagan gods. It's unclear from the text. There's probably a little bit of both. And so Paul begins by quoting some well-known Corinthian sayings to start. And it's possible that they, the Corinthians, have said these things to Paul in defending their actions. And so that's why in your scripture in verse 12, you see that it has quotation marks around the phrase, all things are lawful for me. That's because that is something that the Corinthians are saying. The Corinthians are saying all things are lawful for me. So that's the first one. And the basic idea behind this is that you can do whatever you want. All things are lawful. I can do, I have the right to do whatever I want. This is likely rooted in Greek thought, similar to what some of the other Gnostic false teachers are saying, which says that whatever you do with your body doesn't matter because your body is going to be destroyed anyway. The physical, the physical is all going to die out. It's all going to pass away. And so do whatever you want. You have free reign to do whatever you'd like because all this is temporary. Who cares? Paul combats this by presenting two realities for the Corinthians to consider. The first one, he says this, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Not all things are helpful. Now, when we consider the teachings of scripture, we have to recognize that the scriptures are silent on certain things. The scriptures don't speak to every single decision that we must make. The scriptures do not speak to whether or not I should have worn a blue shirt or a green shirt today. They don't. They simply don't. And so there are certain things that we have liberty to do. We also have to recognize that there are certain things that are commanded in the Old Testament that are different in the New Testament, right? So the Sabbath day is one. Another big one that they really struggled with in the New Testament is whether they could eat food that was sacrificed to idols. And Paul actually addresses that later on in this book. And so there are certain things that 
that have changed from one covenant to another. That does not mean that God has changed, and that does not mean that God's expectations have changed. But there are certain things that served a specific purpose under the old covenant, and that covenant no longer applies, and those things are no longer necessary. But the Bible is very clear about I would say about what those things are because we have the, ver- the benefit of the New Testament. So we can see in the New Testament where Paul and the other writers made very clear, you can eat food sacrificed to idols. It's okay. Does that make sense? Paul's reply here is meant to help us to consider sanctification. So remember, Paul closed the last passage by saying you were washed You were sanctified, you were justified. And so Paul wants us to think about the idea of sanctification. Because when we read that, when we say, but not all things are helpful, we might come up with our own definition of helpful. For example, it would be helpful to my bank account if I started stealing money. That would be helpful to my bank account. However, it would not be helpful for my sanctification. Does that make sense? So we have to be very careful how we define helpful. What is it that we are trying to help? And what we are trying to help is our sanctification. So the things that we should be pursuing are the things that make us more like Christ. So there are things that might be lawful for you to do, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you should just run around doing them. And so Paul wants them to understand not all things are helpful in terms of your sanctification. And then the second thing he says, he quotes him again, all things are lawful for me. And then he says, but I will not be dominated by anything. So Paul wants to remind them that we sh- they should not be dominated by anything. The scriptures talk repeatedly about us being slaves to sin. Being slaves to sin in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, it says, I'm sorry, just in verse 19, they promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. And so this is kind of a combination link to the next thing we're going to talk about. But so it's important to think about it like this. There are certain ways in which we are dominated by our desires. We don't have self-control. We don't have the ability to say, no, I'm not going to do that. And so Paul is saying, listen, if you are dominated by something other than Christ, that is sin. If there is anything that has control over you, sway over you in that way, that's sin. Because Christ alone has that kind of authority over us. And so that brings us to the next thing he says in verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. So the basic idea behind this one is that what the body desires is what we should be partaking of since it's what the body was made for. So I don't want to get too crude But essentially what the Corinthians are saying by using this phrase is, look, 
I got the parts. That's what they're made for. So I can use them. That's essentially what they're trying to communicate in saying it this way. But Paul's response is he says, and God will destroy both one and the other. See, here's the deal. Paul wants them to understand that just because you think that this is what your body was made for, you need to understand that it's God who dictates what your body is for. That's the idea here. And so God is the one, as scriptures tell us, who will destroy both body and soul in hell. And so when you, when you operate up of being dominated by your desires, having these desires that overcome you and you just run around doing whatever, Paul says, hey, God's going to destroy you. God is going to destroy you if you continue down this path of operating in these immoral ways. And Paul very specifically says this, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So in other words, Paul says, God made you with a specific purpose in mind. And it was not sexual immorality. In fact, it wasn't sex at all. God made you to glorify himself. And that is what your life is for. The, your body is for the Lord. And then he says, and the Lord is for the body. So he wants to remind them, you are made for God and the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. So Paul takes their argument their cultural understanding and dismantles it by pointing them to scripture. And then he goes on and he gives them some theological truths in the next few verses. He says in verse 14, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So the first thing that Paul points to is he points to bodily resurrection. Now remember that the Corinthians were likely thinking about these things from a perspective of all this is going to be destroyed anyway. This is all temporary. It doesn't matter. It doesn't last. So we can do whatever we want. You only have one life, right? And so Paul says, listen, you need to understand God raised Christ and he's going to raise us up too. Your body is not temporary. Now, there's a, little bit of, there's a little bit of wiggle room here in this theology, okay? Because your body as it is right now, and I don't mean any offense by this, okay? But your body as it is right now, broken, hurting, sick, disfigured, whatever it is, that's not what your body is going to look like. Your resurrected body is going to be perfect. And I don't mean just like swimsuit model perfect. I mean, without any imperfection, without any blemish or spot, because it will be fully redeemed by Christ, just like our souls are. Okay? But it doesn't just go away. Bodily resurrection is a thing. So what we do with our bodies absolutely matters. 
That's what Paul is trying to help them to see. He's saying, listen, this is not temporary. This is eternal. And then he goes on. And he says this in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul talks about the church being the body of Christ and Christ is the head. Also, Paul talks about in the book of Colossians, which we've previously studied on Sunday nights, talks about how Christ is the firstborn from the dead. He's the firstborn from the dead in order that we would also be born from the dead. Okay? And so because Christ is the firstborn of the dead and because we are the body of Christ, we are specifically united with him in our bodies because our bodies are something that Jesus Christ has redeemed in his death and burial and resurrection. He has redeemed our bodies. And so by virtue of him being the firstborn of the dead and us being born of the dead after him, we are united together with him. So we are members of Jesus. That is a pairing, a connection that cannot be severed. You are united with Christ. So then he goes on. He says, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? So Paul is building this argument piece by piece. And so he starts and he says, hey, listen, your bodies are eternal. And not only are your bodies eternal, but you are eternally united with Jesus. And then he says, so then is it really a great idea to go and unite Jesus with prostitutes? And then he says that sexual contact makes us one flesh because look what he says. Never, verse 16, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her for as it is written, the two will become one flesh. That is a quote from Genesis chapter two. That's a really long time before Paul writes this down. But it was, an, it was the original plan all the way at the beginning. And what Paul tells us here is it's not simply about marriage. There is something significant about sex itself that joins two people together. And you've heard people talk about this before, I'm sure. That, that, that sex is not just a physical action between two people but that it has psychological and emotional things that connect these two people together. Sex is not just a physical transaction, as my former youth pastor used to say. And this was before 2019, where it's becoming more and more just a physical transaction between people. But that's impossible, because God, who made sex, created it in a specific and certain way. And so when we think about 
sex and sexual activity, we have to think about it within the context of how God created it. That's why God created marriage as a boundary around it. And created sex within it. That's why. Because God never intended for us to just go around and the stomach being meant, you know, the stomach is for food and food for the stomach. That was never God's intention. But we, in our sinfulness, have just kind of decided, well, I'm my own God and I do what I want. All things are lawful for me. And so Paul, connecting these thoughts together, is telling us that because all are made, because we are made one flesh with Christ, sexual immorality makes Christ partake of that sin as well. Now, this is a very kind of complicated thing because we cannot make Christ sin. And I don't think Paul is trying to communicate that. I think what Paul is trying to communicate there is that we are bringing Christ into contact with things that Christ never came into contact with. And he continues on and he uses the analogy of the temple because in the temple, in the law, there was a lot that specifically had to be done to keep the temple clean and pure because that's where God came. And we had to sp- they had to specifically do those things to keep it clean and pure for God's sake to enter in. And we now are that temple of God. And so Paul is trying to kind of connect them to those thought patterns there in saying, don't engage in sexual immorality because you're united with Jesus Christ. Don't then go unite with someone who's not your wife, who's not your husband. So he goes on and he says in verse 17, uh, but he who is joined with the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So again, he's saying we are united with the Lord. He kind of bookends it with that. And then we get to verse 18 and Paul wants them to understand what they should do. He says, flee from sexual immorality. The word flee there is an imperative It literally means run away, run away. In the book of Genesis chapter 39, you can turn there if you want, or you can just listen. It's a story that you're probably familiar with. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. At first first they wanted to kill him. They decided not to. They were just going to sell him into slavery instead. And he ends up, um, he ends up with this guy named Potiphar who is a captain of the guard. And it says in uh, Genesis 39, verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So Joseph's being blessed by God in his situation. And then it tells us Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And every time the Bible says that, 
you can bet later on down the road that that's going to come into play. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Children, that means sleep with me, in case you were curious. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Notice that Joseph doesn't say, How can I do this wickedness against Potiphar? How can I do this wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were in there, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. The urgent nature of what happened there indicates to us that she was likely nude and popped out and grabbed hold of his clothes and said, hey, let's, let's go lay down together. And Joseph literally runs out of his clothes and takes off. He flees sexual immorality. Now, you know what happens? She lies. She says that Joseph attacked her and tried to rape her and they throw him in prison and he stays in prison for years. But you know what? He ran away from sexual immorality. He fleed, he fled from sexual immorality. No matter what the cost, flee sexual immorality. I knew a man who lost his marriage because he went to a strip club. And his claim was, I had to do it for work. They told me I had to go or I would lose my job. And so I went and I told him, you should have lost your job. Flee sexual immorality. And why? Why do we run away? Why do we avoid sexual immorality at all costs? Because sexual sin is a sin against your own body. Paul says, every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now, that seems a little bit odd because I'm sure all of us, if we thought for a second, could think of other sins that we might say are sins against our body. Gluttony, drugs, alcohol abuse. We could say those are sins against the body. But that's not the point that Paul is making here? Paul is not simply saying that it sins against your body. Paul is referencing the fact that you specifically are united to Christ and that because sex specifically has a uniting purpose between two people, that when you do that with someone who is not your spouse, and inevitably tear it apart, it does a special kind of damage. It is a significant thing against your own body. That's the point that Paul is making. Every other kind of sin, 
does not do the damage that sexual immorality does in terms of our unity with each other and our unity with Christ. And then he says this, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? From the context, from the context, the application of this verse is about sexual immorality. It's about sexual immorality. I've heard people use it to say, well, you don't drink alcohol because your body's a temple. You don't do this because your body's a temple. You don't eat too much green bean casserole because your body's a temple. And listen, not being a drunk, not using drugs, not eating too much, all of those things are very true and all of those things are sinful and all of those things are things that we should be avoiding. But Paul is not trying to help us to think that all sins are sins against the temple. Sexual immorality. Now, I'm not telling you that sexual immorality is its own kind of sin that is way worse than other kinds of sins, because it's not. But what I am telling you is that the way that sexual sin impacts us is different than other kinds of sin. It's different because of the way that it pervades every part of us. It pervades our mind. It pervades our body. It destroys. It causes rot. It is a different kind of effect. And that's what Paul is trying to get them to understand. That this is not just a temporary thing that doesn't have lasting impact. It's not no big deal. It's not just, well, I'm just having fun. This has significant consequences. And especially, especially for believers. Because you would not believe how many people who say that they are Christians live lives where they believe that they can sleep with whoever, whenever, however they want to. They, I'm, am, I, am I joking? And, this, and it's because it used to be a secret. It used to be something that they believed, but they kept it to themselves. And now that's not true. They're out there posting scripture verses while living with their fifth baby daddy. I'm not even joking. They believe this doesn't matter. And Paul says, on the contrary, it matters a lot. It matters a lot. And he goes on and he says, listen, if all those things don't convince you, remember this, you are not your own. You're not your own. Your life is not yours. And so when you think, I can do whatever I want because it's my life, I only have one, it's not your life. The air that you breathe is a gift from God. The fact that the synapses in your brain continue to fire is a gift from God. The fact that you don't just spontaneously melt into a puddle of goo is a gift from God. 
It's all a gift from God. Your life is not your own. And not only that, not only that, but if you're a Christian, you were bought with a price. Your sin nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. No, not her, okay. (laughs) Your sin nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. And so when you say, my sin is no big deal, what you're really saying is, Jesus is not that important. The holiness of God is not that significant. I don't care about the pain that the Lord of all the universe suffered for me because I want to do what I want. You are not your own for you were bought with a price and that price was the blood and the pain and the tears and the sweat and the suffering and the death of God. So glorify God in your body. You want to know what you should be doing? Glorify God in your body. Seek to be sanctified. Don't ask the question, how far can I go before it's sin? Ask the question, how far can I run from this? How fast can I flee? Stop trying to play with sin and draw close to God. That's what Paul wants the Corinthians to understand. You are so focused on what you think you can do that you've forgotten what you're supposed to be doing. And so every thought that we have as Christians should be what glorifies God the most. So what you watch on television, it might not be sinful according to any scripture I can point to to say that's a sin but it sure doesn't glorify God. What kind of music you listen to might not glorify God. Where you spend your time, how you spend your money. Uh Uh-oh. What kind of clothes you wear, what kind of car you drive, all of that, all of it has an impact on how you glorify God. Glorify God specifically in your body. Live a life that flees from sexual sin and clings to Christ as significant. Are you missing out on worldly pleasures? Probably. But they're not worth it. They're not worth it because we get Jesus Christ we get God himself. What does the Bible tell us? That at the right hand of God, there are pleasures forevermore. You know who's seated at the right hand of God? Jesus is. And so, yeah, you're not going to have these worldly pleasures. Who cares? Cast them aside. Because we get Christ. Flee from sexual immorality. Glorify God in your body because you were bought with a price. 
And so if you want to know how you should glorify God in your body as it relates to sexual immorality, only have sex with your spouse. If you don't have a spouse, don't have sex. It's very simple. And listen, that doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. It does not matter. It doesn't matter what gender you are. The rule is applied to you. If you have a spouse, dare your partner. If you don't, don't do anything. All right? It's very simple. Paul is not, it's not complicated. We try, there are Christians out there who try to make this so complicated. It ain't complicated. If you're not married, keep your pants on. The end. Glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. Because you were bought with a price. And by following God, by glorifying God in your body, do you know what you are? You are a living testimony to the value and the worth and the majesty of Jesus Christ. Because when people say to you, why aren't you like everybody else? You can say, because Jesus is worth more to me. Because I was bought with a price. My life is not my own. My body is not my own. I am called to glorify God in my body. And so church, in the context of what Paul has been saying to the Corinthians, guess what? We are called to help each other flee from sexual immorality. We are called to help each other glorify God in our bodies. Hold each other accountable. Love each other in appropriate ways. But we are together. We are united together in Christ. And we are united together with Christ. Everything that we do bears reflection on him. And that's why we glorify God in our body. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us always to see that Christ is worthy. And Father, you would help us to flee from the temptations that this world provides. And Father, we would not seek to live a life that is dominated by our desires, but a life, Father, that is held captive by your Holy Spirit, drawing us nearer to Christ in sanctification every moment of every day. Father, help us as a church collectively to flee from sexual immorality of all forms not just from physical sexual immorality, Father, but from sexual immorality of thought, of desire. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, because we are incapable on our own. Help us by your Spirit, Lord, to resist temptation. Help us, Lord, by your Spirit to have right desires. Help us, Lord, by your Spirit to love Jesus Christ above all else. We pray this in his name. Amen.